0: great to be in the house of the Lord today, to have an opportunity to sit with each other of like mind, uh, to be able to be in a place where it's not a hostile environment. We can freely talk about what we feel strong about, what we believe is significant, and I know that one of the the situations or one of the circumstances in your life or one of the people in your life that's very significant is actually the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why you're here today. You're here because you want God to speak to you, and uh, that was the last thing that Charlene indicated today, and I do believe that each of us are today, here today because God wants to speak to each of us individually. Um, not, he didn't come for the person to your left or to your right. He came for every person that's in every seat here today. And I just want to encourage you today as, as um, I share what the Lord has laid on my own heart, that you just would ask God, speak to me. What, what do you want me to do in my life? Because the Scriptures teach us very clearly that in Him we live and move and have our being. And uh, today, I, I, was, I was thinking about our graduates in particular. They celebrate um, a pretty great opportunity. Um, you know, I, there are some people I think, if you have not graduated, you have not told anybody about that. It's kind of a sore point for you. It's one that maybe you're a little bit embarrassed by. And um, not, not graduating from high school is something that um, many people will not, um, will not necessarily be the recipient of. They will. Um, Have opportunity to go ahead and to finish school, but I remember one of the things that I learned a statistic a long time ago The number one factor in your kids being successful in school What they do high school level what they do at the university level is really what you have done And so my mom and my father they were very good at keeping a secret I did not know I had no idea until I'd finished my bachelor's Uh, I did a bachelor of science did a bachelor of arts. I did a master's and I had no idea uh, that one of the things that had happened was that my mom, in grade 9, decided that school really was not something she was going to be able to do anymore. And the reason she wasn't able to do that was because my grandparents actually owned a, lo- a logging camp. And uh, so there were many men there every day. She was the youngest of all of the family, and so she had the opportunity every day of not going to school, but working at the logging camp instead. was not the destiny that she chose. wasn't what she really wanted to do. But schooling was not something that my grandparents left available to my mom. My dad, when I was um, finishing my master's, my dad said to me one day, he said, I'm taking a course at at high school. And I said, what's the course you're taking at high school? And he told me he was taking a French course because, you see, I'm from Quebec. I don't speak French, but I'm from Quebec. I'm not sure if that's just loose, guys. I'm going to just change out here. I don't know if that bothers you, but it bothers me, so... All right. How do you like me now? And so with, with my dad, one of the things that he never told me either was that he did not finish his high schooling because in Quebec, it's just like to graduate, you have to have just like math, English, science, and history, you also have to have your French. Well, my dad did not have his French, so in his, I don't know, 40s, 50s, he decided, you know what, I think I want to go back and finish my schooling. And, uh, and he did that. Now, I know that growing up, and I'm just going to tell a little bit of my, my own story. I know growing up on 300 acres of farm, having the opportunity to be a farmer for life was something that I decided very early. didn't even have to make it a prayer issue. I was never going to be a farmer for life. I just knew that was not God's call in my life. And if he was, I was going to go with my heels dug in. I, I would just say, just kill me now because it's over. I do not want to do that. And there are times in life when it's dangerous to say, I do not want to do that. And I found with God, sometimes when we say we don't want to, those are the things He actually wants us to do. Because uh, it's, it's, just, it's just kind of the way it works. If, if our will is opposed to what His will is, He does not have free reign to do what He wants to do in our lives. And so I want to just say to each of our grads today this is a big deal for you guys. Graduating from high school is a big deal, it's a great celebration. And I would encourage you to do one thing really pray and ask god to lead you because i promise you he will he will lead you if you ask for advice he will lead you there are all kinds of people who want to give you advice about what you should do next where you should go where you should live um, how you should borrow or how you shouldn't borrow to go to school all of those pieces and i was thinking today as I was preparing to speak to grads, one of the things that I think is that there are many different emotions that graduates experience um, as they come to the end of, of their high school year. I watch it every year as principal in our Christian school. I watch kids become more and more stressed as the year goes on, because there are far too many questions that they can't answer, and they want the answers right away, and they're feeling like, I should have the answer right now, so if people are asking me, I should know, but I don't know. Do you know this? all right not to have the answer? The best answer to a question when you don't know the answer is, I don't know. It's simple. Answer it that way. You may know in the future, but in the present, you don't. Don't be stressed with that, but say right now, you know what, I don't know, but I'm praying about it, and God's going to show me that at the right time. Each year, every graduate looks at graduation with different perspectives and goals. Some would say this, I don't want this, my high school year to actually even be over. I love it here. Some would say, you know what, I can hardly wait to get out of here. Others are thinking, once I graduate, I will never go back to school. Others think school's been such a breeze. If, high, if university's like this, it'll be a cakewalk. Others say, well, you know what, I don't really care about my marks. Just as long as I get out, that's all my mom and dad want. I just got to graduate. That's all they really care. Just get done, get that phase over, and move on to whatever it is so you can move out. Kind of the way it works. Others would say, you know what, I really care about my marks because I know the university I want to attend, and without those marks, I will never be able to get in there. When students graduate, it's very stressful, typically because they're asked questions like, what are you going to do next year? Do you know what you're going to study? Do you know where you'll be living this fall? Are you going to do like everyone else and head off to university? Students who don't choose to follow the same path as everyone else, it's not an easy path. But everyone's path is not the same. What about this question? Are you excited? Has it sunk into you yet? You're never going back to high school. You will probably never spend any amount of time with any of those people that you call your friends. In the future, you will have to find a new pool of friends. And you would say, oh, no, I'll hang out with those guys forever. I'm in my 50s. I don't hang out with any of my high school friends. And uh, there are a few in this crowd that do that, but not many. When I graduated, I was not sure what I wanted to do. I thought I'd just share a little bit personally for myself. I was not sure what I wanted to do, but I knew that there was one thing I did not want to do. You see, I grew up on 300 acres of farm, and I was the oldest boy in my family. It was assumed in the community that the family would just continue to work the farm, but I knew that that was not a fulfilling option for myself. I remember the days as we got closer to graduation, and I wondered how I would break the news to my dad that I would no longer follow in his footsteps. I knew it would be disappointing to him. I knew how much he had invested in this farm with time and with money. It had been our family, in our family, for over 110 years. And I knew this for sure that this conversation was not going to be easy to disappoint my dad and tell him this was not something that I would do. Opportunity came one day as we worked together, and my dad asked me the question. What's your plan like this fall, Willie? What are you thinking of doing? Uh, Can you see yourself here on the farm in the future? Well, my dad and I, we did, and we still do have a very good relationship with each other. And I thought very quickly, my response, and I swallowed hard even though I was comfortable because I knew that my answer was not what he wanted it to be. I cleared my throat and I said, Dad, I don't want a farm. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what God wants for my life, but I know I don't want a farm. And so my dad put down the bucket that he had in his hand, turned around and looked at me and said, Willie, listen to me. This farm has been my way to provide for my family. If this farm is not something that you want, you are under no obligation to pick it up. And your brother is under no obligation to pick it up and your sisters are under no obligation to pick it up. But there is one thing I want you to feel obligated about, and that is to follow hard after God. I didn't know what else to say. I didn't know what else to do, except just to say to my dad, thank you, thank you. That's not what, that was not an easy decision for my dad my family farm of 110 years is no longer the family farm of 110 years none of us the siblings took that farm over and i remember the day that my farm sold my dad's farm sold it was a very difficult day for my dad but i want to read something to you because my dad at this point in time i had already decided i was not going to be a farmer he knew very likely that none of us were going to be involved with the farm and so he wrote me a letter, actually wrote a letter to my wife and I in 1991, and I've tucked it away in my Bible, and, uh, and I would encourage you to take good notes and put them away for rainy days. Bad notes, throw them in the garbage. Don't hang on to them. All they do is make you bitter and they stink. Get rid of them. Hang on to the good stuff. I just thought I would read, it's a little bit personal, but I think it just want to share a little bit about the heart of my dad and my mom. Says we miss you folk very much. This letter's written to my wife and I. We miss you folk very much. We faithfully pray for both of you each day that God will continue to keep His hand of, of mercy and encouragement upon both of your lives. I'm so glad and honored to have you as my oldest son, Willie, and I'm truly amazed at how God has led you over these last 15 years. My greatest desire and hope for you is that you would always continue to be found in God's perfect will for your life. It seems such a short time since you were just a wee lad. And now you're here on your own. What a struggle it has been for mom and I to actually come to the point in our lives we are willing to say to ourselves, these kids, they belong to God, and we give them back. God certainly has been faithful to our family, and to Him alone, we want to give Him praise and glory today. I've had many conversations with my mom and my dad over the years. And I want to say again, their support and prayers have been so influential in my life. I would encourage you today that have graduates. Continue to pray for your kids. Continue to communicate with your kids. Continue to keep the door of communication open with them. And let them know that you are praying for them often. May they always hear these words, I love you. Regardless of their choices, regardless of their life direction, You have the opportunity, you have the privilege of loving them and having them as your children. So I would encourage you in that today. There may may not be many things you can do for your kids if their choices are not what your choices would be, but there's one thing you can do, and that is pray for them. And prayer is the most powerful tool in your weapon basket. Pray for them often. And so I was thinking about graduation, all the different emotions that are there, and I thought, you know what? I think everybody ought to go back to the stress of graduation day. I think everybody ought to go back there and start asking those questions to each of us. So what are you doing with the rest of your life? So where are you going to go to school next year? So, and the questions keep coming. And we keep coming up with answers, and we try to think through where we want to be next because realistically and truly, I believe that all of us, need to be people that every day answer the question, what am I doing with my life? We ask graduates that. It's a question we should be asking ourselves also. So significant and so important. It has been said that one of the things that we don't need as individuals is that we do not need more truth. We just need to put more truth into the practice of our daily living. It's been said that for individuals, the average person will spend 20 years of their life sleeping, six years of their life watching TV, TV, five years of it getting dressed, getting ready to go out to work or to play, whatever, three years of it waiting, one year on the telephone, and four months just tying your shoes. It's said that most of us only use about 10% of our potential, and those that use 25% are considered geniuses. Imagine what we could do if each of us just moved ourselves from 10% to 15% of what our potential actually is. Michelangelo worked on 44 statues in his life. Can you name 44 of them that he accomplished? He worked on 44, but he only completed 14 of them. David and Moses are probably the most famous. The other ones, he never finished them. They're just blocks of stone with perhaps an arm or a head or a leg. They're in a museum in Italy where, once, where one can see all of the unfinished works that the unfulfilled potential of this great genius never was ever able to finish. It's sad enough to realize that there are unfinished works of Michelangelo. First thing is just imagine what those things would have been worth. But what is even more sad is to look every day at people around us and realize, you know what? There are people around us who are just like blocks of stone. They've never really been developed. They've never really come to the person that God designed them to be and to be the person of potential. Why are you not moving towards your potential? Why am I not moving towards my potential? What stops me? What holds me back from being all that God wants me to be? Let's even take the God equation out what holds you back from being all that you want to be period in the professional world on your sport team what holds you back i was on a flight recently and there was this big guy sitting in front of me and uh, he was all dressed in athletic gear Uh, we were coming back from toronto and so um the guy beside him started just asking him questions and so I, i just I eavesdropped because there was nobody beside me to to, to talk to and to listen to. And so I thought, I'm just going to listen to what this conversation is. And so I listened to this guy talk. What he wants to do is he wants to be a professional ball player. That's what his goal is. He has the build. He has the strength. He has the look. And so the guy asked him, so what what are you doing with that? What is it you're trying to do? And so he talked, you know, I went to this farm team tryout and I've gone to this farm team tryout. And he said, so where do you live? He said, I live in Moncton. So where do you train? Well, I really don't train. I'm, uh, I'm a construction worker. I'm a construction worker. That's what I do. And I thought to myself, if you were really serious about being a ball player, you're going to have to leave home. You're going to have to go to a place where opportunity knocks at your door. You are going to have to do that. It's so important for you to be able to do that. And I thought, he's never going to reach that dream if he stays here. He has to go to another location for that to take place. I would suggest that 95% of us are not real comfortable at stretching ourselves, not real comfortable at moving to the next level in many areas of our life. When we come up against something that's bigger than we are, we tend to back off. What keeps us from expanding? Why do we avoid the stretching experiences of life? Fear, it's the number one reason. It's the number one thing that stops us, that paralyzes us. Another reason is that, we'll, you know what? We just don't see any need. We're just satisfied with exactly where we are. We don't want to move ahead. Or perhaps there's a the third thing. We might be just downright lazy. We don't want to get off the couch. We don't want to put the extra time in. We don't want to do the extra work. We're satisfied just where we are. John Maxwell says that one of the biggest factors in being successful is how you see yourself. He says he's found that self-esteem has a lot to do with one's willingness to also stretch. A lot of people with low self-esteem have an above average ability, but they just do not see themselves in the proper light. Some of us just don't want to be different. If you stretch, you're no longer ordinary, just like everybody else. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be people that, that are different than anybody else. We don't want to be out of sync with our friends and with our associates. And I would encourage all of us today to ask yourself the question, what is stopping you from reaching the potential that you have with the help of God to be developed in you as an individual? Maxwell tells a story of Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant was the coach of the Alabamas, of Alabama Crimson Tide for many years. He held the record for several years in the college football coach with the most victories. Bear Bryant was an outstanding coach and a tremendous motivator. His players knew that they had, a better, they had better play good football for this guy. The story is told that one important game his team was ahead by six points with only one minute left in the game. They had the ball. It looked as if the game was sewed up. He sent, he sent the message back into the quarterback. And he told, use the running play. I want you to use the running play. The running play came in. The quarterback decided, hmm, let's surprise the other team. Let's surprise the coach. Let's use a pass play instead. He said, they're looking for the bunt. They're looking for the run. Well, you know what? I think what they're really going to get, well, let's take and do the throw instead. So he went back. He threw the pass, and sure enough, the defensive cornerback, the speed champion from the district, was on the other team. He intercepted the ball, and he headed towards the goal line. Alabama was now going to lose the game. The Alabama quarterback, who was known for a good arm, but not so fast in his legs, came after the cornerback. He caught him at the five yard, line, five yard line and took him down. He saved the Alabama game. Alabama won. After the game was done, the opposing coach went to Bear Bryant after the game and said, I thought that quarterback was slow. My guy's supposed to be the fastest in the league. He said, you don't understand. Your guy was running for six points my guy was running for his life. (laughs) Are you running for your life, or are you scoring just six points? We all need to race for our life because the truth of the matter is our future depends on how we run. Our, Our lives are the result of messages we have heard, books we have read, and life experiences that we've had to this point in life. And my prayer today is that we will each take a look at our own lives and see what our life story story currently looks like, and also look closely at what our life will be if we challenge ourselves, with the help of God, to strive towards being stretched to our God-given potential. God did not and does not make junk. He wants all of us to live productive and meaningful lives. They're just little tasks. I, I, I'm a principal, so occasionally I teach. I want each of you to find your pulse. I don't care what part of your body you use it to find it. Just find your pulse. If somebody that, that is to the left or to the right that's not getting their pulse, checking their pulse, look at them. Give them the eye. And look at them. He, he wants. Because there is a part two to this. There is a part two. So find your pulse. If you cannot find your pulse, you are dead. But you, uh, it's obvious this morning that everybody in this room has a pulse. Otherwise, how did you come in? You didn't come in in a gurney. Nobody dragged you in and threw you into a seat. You actually walked in in your own fruition, your own strength, your own ability. So we know you are alive. But realistically, we also make some observations about people every day spiritually. We look at them and we think, that person, you know what? They're about in 7 out of 10 spiritually. Oh, that person there, they are one of the most ungodly people that you ever met. You would just never spend any time. We make those kinds of observations. We may not say them out loud, but we make observations about where people are spiritually, day in and day out, by how they live their lives before people. There are many principles for us to explore. There are principles of success and there are principles of failure, We would do ourselves a favor to know the difference and embrace success. I personally believe that we need to recognize the principles of success in order for us to be able to build them into our lives. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, I want to look at that this morning. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. John writes and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be disciples as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in them in my love. If, my, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Here, John tells us the fruitful principles of living that we need to keep in mind at all times in our own spiritual walk the first thing is he tells us we must stay connected to the unlimited power what things push in our life for us to connect to them what things push away the times that we need to spend alone with god our potential for fruitful living is unlimited because of the source we are connected to the bible tells us that he is the way the truth and the life he is He is here and he tells us that he is divine, that we are to be attached with him, that we can live and be nourished by him and through him. When we realize that, then we understand how Paul could say that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. We become fruitful when we tap into the right source, when we get a glimpse of the unlimited resource at our disposal, the power of God himself, then and only then will we sense the assurance that we are fully equipped to do whatever it is that God calls us to do. We are connected to an unlimited power. When I was 17, 18, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I was looking at going into the ministry after I'd, my dad's blessing came and said, you go ahead and do what you want to do. Um, I looked at going to Bethany, which is now Kingswood. I went off there for one year. And so in my first year there, um, I took uh, just a one-year program, Christian development program, and at the end of that one year, I decided that God was calling me to full-time ministry. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what it was going to be in the future. But I just knew that God had a call in my life to stay in school, to finish my degree, and to look and see what those next steps will be. So I went through. I finished my four-year program, finished my Bachelor of Arts and Pastoral Ministries. And so between my four, after my fourth year, I already made a decision that I was going to go back and I was going to do a Bachelor of Science as well. And so I decided... I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna do that. So prior to that, in my third year and in my fourth year, I started to take some extra courses loading up because I knew how many courses I would need extra in order to graduate with both of those degrees. So I graduated with one and I had a window of opportunity to finish some coursework and then graduate with my second degree. And so one of the things that I had done first, I had done my Bachelor of Arts in Pastoral Ministries. That was my opportunity to be in the pulpit, as people would say. And growing up where I grew up, I mean, I never knew anything about a Christian school. I didn't even know that one ever even existed. I had no idea about that. When I went off to Kingswood, I knew that guys went into ministry. I'm just going to say it the way it was said. I'm sorry. Guys went into ministry and girls went into Christian schools. That was just the way it was. And guys just don't go into Christian schools. And girls, that was just, you know, it was, it was the oddity for a girl to go into the ministry. And so typically when you went to Kingswood at that time, if you went to a ministerial class, they were almost all guys. If you went to a Christian school class, they were almost all girls. And so I, um, in my third and my fourth year, prior to finishing my first degree, I decided to take two different Christian school courses. And so I was in a class of 30 girls and one guy. It was I. And uh, I remember being in the class... And the teacher of that class was actually a guy by the name of cal tyler cal tyler was actually the principal of this school and so i, I talked with cal quite often about where god wanted me to be what god wanted me to do and so on we prayed together often eventually uh, long story short i ended up here he's not here but i remember when i finished my fourth year um, my district superintendent came to me and he said willie you know what We have a place that we want you to go to. Um, There's a church. It's in Brockville, Ontario. We want you to take that responsibility on. That's the place that we want you to minister. And I said, well, thanks for the invitation. I'm not really interested. I'm going to go back to school. Okay, no problem. So I went back to school. I finished my other degree. District superintendent comes to me and says, "Uh, Willie, we've got a church for you. We really would like you to go to this one. I said, I'm sorry, not really interested. Uh, I'm going to go take my master's. Well, during those years where you're taking your master's and your second degree, one of the things you have to do is you have to do a yearly review with a ministerial group. And it's called the District Board of Ministerial Standing is what it used to be called. I don't know if it's still called that or not. And so every year you would go before them. And so you had a report you had to fill out, um, questionnaire. They questioned you on the stuff that was on your sheet. And then when it was all done, they would decide whether or not they would renew your ministerial license because your ministerial license works towards eventually you becoming an ordained pastor of a church. And so I went, after my fourth year, after saying no to my district superintendent about going to a church, um, I went into this meeting. There are 15 people sitting around the table. I'm in there for my interview. And that interview just doesn't go real smooth. It's a little rough. Because you don't say no to the boss and it'd be okay. But I knew that I had to say no because I knew that that was not where I was supposed to be at that time. And so the second year... Um, I came back, and that interview did not go so smooth again. And at the end of the meeting, they said to me, we want you to know something. One of the things that it says on your questionnaire, it says, are you prepared to willingly and happily submit to the direction of this board? And you said, yes. And I said, yes, I'm willing to do that. Well, we have something to tell you today. I said, okay, what's that? We are not going to renew your ministerial license this year because you are not following a path that we think is god's direction for your life well i was a little perplexed because i always thought that god always talked to people and i always thought that god never got his wires crossed and gave my email to somebody else so i'm 18 years old and i sit at the other end of the table and you know the statement how do you like them beans One of them said to me, I want to read that statement to you. Are you prepared to willingly, happily submit to the direction of this board? My answer was, yes. I said, I have no choice. I said, if I claim to be a man of God, then I must be submissive to those that are in authority. I choose to be submissive. I don't agree with your decision. I think you're totally wrong. But I am willing to be submissive to that. And then, they invite, and then they invited me to lunch. We had lunch together. They took away my ministerial license, and I moved on with my studies. Well, I had done a little bit of work prior to that, and I knew that what I wanted to do was be involved in Christian schools. I didn't know how. I didn't know where, but that's where I was going to go. And so I remember um, making a decision when I got home, and I said to my dad, Dad, this is what's happened, but I'm telling you right now, I'm going to go ahead with my studies. That's where God wants me to be. I'm going to do that. And so three months later, this same board that refused me came back and said, we made a mistake. We should not have refused you. We will give your ministry your license back again. So now it's the next year I come back. I sit before this group of people, and they ask me this question again. Are you prepared to happily and, and willingly submit to the direction of this board? Yes, I am. And my district superintendent talked about The way i responded the year before and the direction of my life and said what he wants to do is honor god with his life let's encourage him in that words of encouragement especially from those that are to your left and to your right are so significant and so important and one of the things that i realized at the end of the table i knew that i was connected to the right power i knew that my wires were not crossed i knew just as sure as god made green apples that I was being the person that God wanted me to be, and I was going where God wanted me to go, and I was doing what God wanted me to do. I knew that. And when you are connected to the right power, you will know that. How many of you could say, you know what? I have known that in my life. There have been times when I've known I'm connected to the right power. Anybody in the room? Please put your hand up. Have you yes, yes. Because you know what? Graduates need to see those hands today. There have been many times in my life when I've known that God is speaking to me because I'm connected to Him, and He's using using circumstances and situations to shape me as a person, to develop my character, to help me to find God's full will in my own life. In each of us, we need to be connected to the right source. Secondly, when I look at that portion of Scripture, one of the things I see is that His care, excuse me, our care is in His hands. He owns this plant. He says, this branch, Willie Brownlee, you're connected to the vine, the power source. And anything that I experience in life is actually for my good. It's to help me to develop and to grow and to bear fruit. And sometimes we look at life and we think, you know what, it's not so nice hanging out here. It's not so easy what I'm doing right now in life. But in the good words of Pastor Buckingham, What's that got to do with anything? Nobody has ever been promised life easy. And I want to say this this morning also, the best lessons you will learn in life, it's when life is difficult. Remember seeing a poster many years ago and it said it was a poster of a basketball player and he was on the court and it said this, if you want to know the real character of the player, put him in the game. Don't watch him on the bench. You're in the game, folks. You need to be connected to the right power. You need to be a person that realizes your care is in his hands. You can trust him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Thirdly, our productiveness is under his care. What we get out of life, we must trust him for the results. He will prune the plant so it produces fruit. Every branch that bears fruit He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. God removes everything that hinders our our uselessness. He cuts away the sin that so easily entangles us. Hebrews 12 and 1. Fourthly, our partnership is with God. In verse 4, Jesus talks about the partnership. It says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. We cannot live our lives in a manner that pleases God if we do not abide in Him. According to the book of Acts, in Him we live and we move and we have our being. Robert Morrison, who was a missionary to China, was traveling there to begin his missionary journey. And as he was traveling on this journey, the captain of the ship was not real excited about this journey that this guy was taking. He was skeptical, he was negative, and he wasn't really nice in the conversation that he gave to Robert. Finally, Robert arrived in China. And as he was getting ready to leave the ship, the captain looked at him and said, I suppose that you think you're going to make an impression in China? Robert Morrison said, no, sir, I will not. But I sure believe that God will. Because Robert Morrison had a partnership with God. You are not in your own work. Wherever you work, you are in the work of God And God is empowering you to be the salt and the light of the earth, the fragrance of Christ, no matter who you rub shoulders with, day in and day out. Difficult days? Pray more. Not less, more. Easy days? Thank God, because there are difficult days coming. I'd also say this, our promise is from God. If we abide in Him... He will abide in us. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. If I delight in God, my desire will be to do the things according to His will and ask according to His will. Too often we try to make the principle work in the exact opposite. We make our plans, then we ask God to bless the plan, rather than asking God to give us the plan and ask God to empower us to make sure that it is done. And lastly, I want to say this, our purpose is from God. We will bear fruit if we walk in obedience. He tells us that if we want to be fruitful, then we must stay attached to the vine. He doesn't force us to stay attached, but He tells us that we need to remain. It's our choice. He has the power, the strength, the wisdom, and the resources available, but we must stay plugged in. Imagine trying to run a piece of electric equipment and never plugging it in. It doesn't have a battery. It has no source. You have to plug it in why don't we always abide in Him? Plain and simple, we just disobey. We begin to think that we can do life our own way. We begin to have unhealthy self-confidence instead of Christ's confidence. When we do not have active positive attitudes, it's because we're not plugged into the vine. We're not hooked into the source. We're depending upon ourselves. And Christians, we should not have to psych ourselves up to go to work. We should be people that are excited about where we're going to serve god today excited about the opportunities that god has in front of us so what do i need to do in order to be the person that reaches the greatest potential for myself as an individual i must remain i must abide i must be dependent on him that's not popular thinking out there we want to be self-made man self-made millionaires all kinds of self-help books the best self-help out there is not yourself, it's the Savior. It's God reaching out to us and speaking to us. Remain in Him. Receive, really listen. When God speaks to you, when God speaks to you, I, I came across this illustration last week. It's a terrific illustration. Imagine a baseball game, and the back catcher is down and behind there. He's getting ready to catch the ball. He gives the signs to the pitcher, and the pitcher goes, no, 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 no. And God just keeps giving the signs. Finally, God gets up, walks to the mountain and says, you see those signs? You do them. Because I already talked to the coach. The coach already told me what to give you. Yes, sir. No. What do you mean no? If I'm giving you the signs, if God is giving us the signs, why are we resistant to that? Oh, I wish that I would always listen when God would give me the sign. My life would be so much easier. Oh, I wish that I was always teachable. I wish that I would always listen and do what God wanted me to do. I want to read one more story and then I'm all done here today. Says this, it says, you're going to meet an old man someday down the road, 10, 30, 50 years from now, old man or an old woman waiting there for you. You'll be catching up with them. What kind of an old person are you going to meet? They may be seasoned, soft, a gracious fellow, a gentleman or a gentlewoman who has grown old gracefully, surrounded by a host of friends, friends who have called them blessed because of what their life has meant to them. Or you may be a, or you may meet a bitter, disillusioned, dried-up old buzzard without a good word for anyone, soured, friendless, and alone. That old person, that's going to be you. You will be the complete composite of everything you've done, everything you've said, everything you've thought, today and tomorrow. Your mind, sorry, their mind will see you molded every day because of the beliefs that you have gone and made a part of your own life. Their heart will be turning out what you've been putting in. Every little thought, every deed goes into this old man. Every day in every way you're becoming more and more like yourself. Amazing but true. You're beginning to look more like yourself, think more like yourself, talk more like yourself. You're becoming more and more like you. Live only in the terms of what you're getting out of life. The old man gets smaller, drier, harder, and crabbier if you are a self-centered individual. Open your lives to others. Think in terms of what you can. Your contribution to life in the old man grows larger, softer, kinder, gentler. It's up to you to be the person that you want to be. Be the person that God has made you to be. In Back to the Future, there's a line that that is always used, and I find it quite interesting. Back to the Future, Michael Fox, the trigger line for him every time, to get him to do what they want him to do is, are you chicken? Are you chicken? And Michael Fox turns around and does what he doesn't want to do, but does what they want him to do. There's a story that's told about an eagle that abandoned her nest, but in her nest she left the eggs. One egg survived, and a farmer discovered it. He took it, and he placed it in with his hands. Now, I can't imagine a hand ever sitting on an eagle's egg. But that's just what the story says. And so eventually, the chicken had her chickens, and she also hatched an eagle. And so the story is told that the eagle clucked, scratched, pecked, did not lay eggs, but did all those things. Periodically, you know what the eagle would do? He would actually jump up a little bit and flutter around. And one day, one day, the eagle looked up and he saw this thing in the sky, and he said to the other chicken, what is that, what's, what's that thing up there? He said, oh, that is the most majestic creature you have ever seen. It is actually called an eagle. He said, eagles can soar at heights that you cannot believe. They can, they can, with their sight, they can go down and grab stuff that we can't even see. You know what? If, 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 if I could do anything, I would love to be an eagle. And the eagle said, man, I'd love to be an eagle too. What's stopping you from being an eagle? Are you chicken?"